Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, Wake Up and Smell the Poop. And joining me from somewhere in North America is author Don Sullivan, also known as the Dog Father. Welcome to the program, sir. Hi, Jay. How are you? Doing well. Your book is certainly an intriguing title. Share with my listeners what the significance is of your title and who the book is directed toward. Um, well, the, the title basically is, is to grab people's attention in the fact that uh, there's a lot more going on uh, when it comes to dealing with dogs and the dog training world and, and the whole um, business built around dogs. Uh, there's a lot more going on than people are aware of. And there's a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes uh, in our society and the, and the way society thinks that is directing the way people are interacting with their dogs and it is detrimental to the relationships they're having with their dogs and the success they're having in training their dogs and, and things that are, that are um, leading to, to problems that are actually to the point of, of uh, you know, maulings and, 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 and even deaths occurring um, because of uh, their failings to see how they are relating to their dog. And, and so what I'm doing is wake up and smell the poop is saying, Here's, here's an expose on, on why people are doing things incorrectly and how to know and spot how to change that so that they can actually be in a better position to, to have the control over their dog that they want to have and, um, and simply you know, just lead to a better end for everybody, for all of our society. In, in their relationship with dogs. Uh, share with my listeners uh, your experience as a dog trainer or dog uh, a behavioralist, a specialist sure. in that, that field. Okay. Uh, well, I've been training dogs for 30 years, and uh, so I started back in the, in the mid-'80s, um, and I, I quickly found that I had a, an ability to train dogs to a high level of off-leash obedience. Uh, where most dog training institutes are, you know, they're set up as little classes at, at your pet stores and so forth, and they they give people um, this perception that they're getting a trained dog, or they, they use the term obedience. Uh, but what they really end up with is a dog that will do certain things in a controlled environment, and usually for a piece of food as a reward. Right. And I have. Uh, early on discovered that using food uh, for for training a dog only gets you what I call a circus dog. It will mm. perform in certain situations when it wants to. But to me, true obedience is when a dog will respond to you without a leash when it would rather not in a situation that is uh, absolutely imperative that the dog responds. Because a lot of people say, oh, my dog's really good, except when. And then they give you a list of all the times when the dog doesn't respond properly. And I say, well, there shouldn't be that list. Mm. If a dog is truly obedient, it means it obeys when it doesn't want to. Right? It doesn't right. matter if the dog does something when it feels like it. You need to have a dog that will respond when it won't 
otherwise when it would rather not do it because there's so many times in life when um, unexpected situations arise and you need control right now and that's where most most people lose control and dogs can get killed people can get injured there's all kinds of negative stuff that happens if we don't have an off-leash trained dog so that's what all of my training is about and early on in my training as well, I ended up becoming a, um, uh, a marine mammal trainer. I trained seal, uh, seals, sea lions, killer whales, uh, and that has all been a part of, of my experience. And those are things that are also uh, included in the book and some, some of the amazing things that, that I've learned along the way um, that, that have really shaped the way I think and the way I train. There are some dog breeds that are getting a bad rap right now, and I'm wondering from your perspective if there are any that have inherent traits that concern you or might concern our listeners. Um, well, it's not necessarily the, the, the breed of dog that a person gets. It's how that dog is dealt with in the first moments from the, from the time they bring that dog home. It, it, it's establishing leadership. Because most people bring a dog home, and, and what they want to do is they want to start bonding with the dog and creating this, this relationship where, where they, uh, they um, project love toward the dog. They want, they want mm-hmm. to have this warm, fuzzy relationship, when in fact what a dog really needs to see from the person the moment they meet it is leadership. They need to understand that the person is in control of that relationship. The warm, fuzzy, lovey, cuddly part of the relationship comes after the dog respects the person. But people are doing it the reverse way, and they're also trying to buy their dog's favor and their dog's affection by the use of bribing it with treats. And, and all of this stuff leads to problems that people are unaware of. They're, they're sort of blindly marching ahead because of the societal think that is, that is being pushed upon them from all different types of angles. It makes them think they're following the right path. And unfortunately, from day one, they're giving the dog the power in the relationship which ultimately is going to destroy that relationship. I have a daughter who has a Great Dane, and that Great Dane is a warm, cuddly, uh, affectionate, energetic puppy that is grown to about 14 feet tall. I don't know if it's that tall, but it's big. And <laughs> it's, it, it has a destructive uh, personality. I mean, you, you they, they gave it a dog bed that uh, ended up in shreds everywhere. Is it too late to begin training and correcting bad behavior when they're six or eight no. months old? No, not at all. Uh, I, I, I've taken dogs that were 12 years old that were out of control, and in an hour that dog is, is calm, affectionate, obedient, because the dog's brain never stops uh, the ability to learn, like this concept that's tossed around that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely false. That, that when a dog shifts its, its environment, if, if one dog suddenly was, was tossed into a pack of another group of dogs, an established pack of dogs, well, he's going to learn their rules right away. He's going to find out who runs that pack, what is the structure, uh, how does the harmony run, where does he fit in that hierarchy, and he's going to learn to adapt to that situation. So you take an older dog who's, who's lived with a family and behaved a certain way, um, and a lot of times it's, it's destructive or annoying uh, behavior because the dog has been allowed to, to get to that point where the dog thinks that's an acceptable way to behave. When I step into the situation or someone using my training methods comes in to that situation and they start to immediately apply uh, my, my philosophies and my techniques, that dog will change within minutes. 
and and it's seriously it 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 stuns people time and time and time again how fast a dog can change his behavior, especially when they've lived with problems for so long, and then in minutes later, boom, the dog's just sitting there looking at me with affectionate eyes, leaning on me, and and people that have that have used my system around the world that have have sent me email after email after email just saying. Wow, we never thought it could happen this fast. Five minutes after we started training our dog to go away, our dog changed. Interesting. It's wonderful stuff. Very simple to get started. How, how, are there additional tools besides just a command and, and a control that are needed when you're dealing with a, a pup that's out of control? Um, well, I have a, I have a um, <coughs> sorry, beside my book, um, I have my, my perfect dog training system, which is five hours of instruction on, on two DVDs that I put together over a, a number of years. Uh, my, my command collar that I have developed, uh, which is the, the temporary training tool that is necessary for implementing the techniques and the philosophies and um, comes with training leads, a, a graduated system of training leads to work your dog to the point where it's off leash. Mm. And a lot of people will say, well, why would I want my dog off leash? Because there's leash laws, I, I don't, I don't need him off leash. Well, uh, the reality is, is that many problems occur when, in between, they're getting in and out of the car. They're, they're open the door to, to meet the, the postman, and outruns the dog. You know, he, he slips the leash or whatever happens, right. and and the dog is loose. That's why I've always said everyone needs off leash control. So my training system, um, it it is the the, the be-all and end-all of training systems to get people to the level where they can have off-leash control. And, and it's amazing. It's like within, say, you know, two to four weeks, people can take a dog that used to pull them down the street on a leash, and they can be walking down the same uh, same road with the dog without a leash on, and the dog is, is behaving perfectly. Fabulous. Will the training techniques that you have outlined in your book be of interest to people who may have other types of pet, or is this uh, primarily a dog training manual? No, it's it's, uh, it's basically dogs, but um, you know I, I believe that when people get their mind around the things that I say in the book and the, and the things in my training system, I believe it changes the way people look at life. I mean, I get people who will they will walk down the street and and they they there's things that they have learned from me that really do affect the way they they view life in general um, because it, it's a, it's a, it's an adapting uh, taking hold of logic. And, and clear principles that, in a sense, are, are um, somehow just missed by the general populace as they're walking around. Uh, I, I believe it's a little bit of a life-shifting experience. Wonderful. And how would you describe your writing style in this book? Is this something that is going to be difficult for uh, a, a non-avid reader to get the, uh, the principles and adapt them? Um, well, I mean, the, the book is it's very entertaining. Um, it, it's inspiring, uh, and and yet it's controversial because some of the things that I include in the book, um, I'm exposing things that I, that I've experienced um, from corporate situations, um, just things that are things that are uh, out there that people have been exposed to, and and I've seen the the, the inner workings in the back door uh, in these processes. And there's a lot of stuff in my book that will that will surprise people, um, and, and just open their eyes about how things are how things are being run behind the scenes, and it affects the way we deal with our dogs. 
so no, it's it's a great read for anyone. It's like we've had young people reading it, and um, it's it's not a hard read at all. 137 pages. Uh, is this a, a book that will have a follow-up coming soon? Um, well, there is a potential follow-up, but how soon, I can't say. Don, there must have been some challenges in writing this book. Uh, were they difficult to overcome? I would, say, I would say that the most challenging part was to have to pick and choose from the thousands of anecdotal stories that I've gathered over the years and not be able to include them all. I wanted, I wanted to put everything in there. Well, are there um, some fun things that happened that you uh, shared in your book or that you remember? Uh, well, one of, the, one of the funny things that I did put in the book was uh, I was walking down the road with a client one, one day, and I could hear this uh, car coming down the road, and I heard this dog barking at the top of its lungs. It was just you know, a block away you could hear this dog barking, and as this car approached us, I saw this little old man, and, and he's just kind of hunkered behind the wheel, and he has industrial uh, ear protectors on, like they look like a big headphone. <laughs> right. And he's driving along. He looks completely <laughs> calm and almost almost comatose as he's driving with these protectors on. And this dog, this massive dog, is bounding around in the in the car, barking incessantly. And the man's just at total peace because he's wearing these industrial ear protectors. That's funny. So, That's a funny and, story. And it's funny, you know, because because I looked at that and I thought, you know, he that's the way he's dealing with his situation. And in a half an hour, I could have that dog driving around in the car calmly and quietly, yet he's going to live his life, uh, you know, driving around like that. And I always thought it would be funny if he went and picked somebody up for, you know, he had to go get someone and take him for a ride somewhere, and he hands them a pair of those earmuffs to put on as well. <laughs> That's a great story. I, you know, some people enjoy uh, the, the ruckus and the, uh, the routine of chaos. Maybe that was his life, too. <laughs> the title of this book, again, for my listeners is Wake Up and Smell the Poop. And our author, the dog father, Don Sullivan. Don, my listeners will want to get copies of your book and also get in touch with you if they have further follow-up information they want to receive. How do they do so? Uh, well, to get the book, uh, they go to www.wakeupandsmellthepoop.com. And they can also go, go to Amazon and uh, Google the name on there. Um, and it will come up. And the uh, word poop has two oohs in it. Yes, uh, lots of oohs. Uh, P-O-O-P. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm no yeah. know that. I just thought I would yeah. just if say they, that. If they want. <laughs> Wonderful. And is there, is, are there any, you mentioned the DVDs. Are those available on that uh, site as well? Uh, the DVDs would be through theperfectdog.com. Theperfectdog.com. The yeah, perfect, theperfectdog.com. And it's the whole system. It's the DVDs, um, the training collar, the command collar that I invented, and the training lines. And I believe there might be a couple of other things that they in certain kits that they sell um, that have some extras. Fabulous. Thank you, Don, for joining me today and sharing your story. The, again, the title of the book is Wake Up and Smell the Poop. Don Sullivan has been my guest, also known as the Dog Father. Thank you, sir, for being a part of today's show. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. For Ex Libris on Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. 
If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Flying Hungover. That's a quizzical title. Our author, Brian Ord, joins me from Kansas. Welcome, sir, to the program. Uh, thanks for having me, Jay. Uh, this, the title has me a little concerned. Does this have actually uh, anything to do with aircraft? Uh, not necessarily just with aircraft itself. Okay. Uh, are you a pilot? Uh, share a little bit of your background and why this book or this story was written. Uh, no, I'm not a pilot. Uh, I've just uh, flown around America a few times, done a lot of vacations, and uh, sometimes that experience can be a little trying. And especially if maybe you are doing it with um, a had a hangover it can make, it can add to, add to those trials but uh yeah that was kind of how that came about it's just something i've done several times okay and and your favorite way of flying apparently if if uh, i'm understanding what you just told me is uh to be uh, uh imbibed with adult beverages or am i confused by the title again well i think sometimes <laughs> uh sometimes i uh yeah i utilize my vacation a little too i i make sure to get every second out of it i can and then that leads the trip home Sometimes a little bit tired. T tell tell my listeners, you have uh, only uh, 49 pages here. There's not a chapter as such. It's uh, one long exposition uh, talking about flying hungover. What was the inspiration behind this, besides your vacations and uh, coming down from vacations? <clears throat> well, I think part of it is just I just had a lot of these thoughts in my head. Uh, I think they touch on just uh, some everyday life and just some things that I've seen uh you know, in our world today, or in America more more specifically, but uh, yeah, it was just an avidu. I just started writing it, and I think the the context of the flying and using that is just something I've done, and that's just the avenue it came out in. Sure, and for my listeners, just to let you know, this is not about drinking necessarily. This is about other thoughts and ideas that you wanted to share with the public. Right, yeah, it, it has very little to do with drinking, and even <laughs> the hangover... I mean, unfortunately, I've I've flown hungover because of the drinking, but I think that anybody can relate to flying hungover in the sense that, you know, they're tired. Being away on vacation, you, typically you don't sleep as good as if you're at home. So even though you're not, you know, experiencing like an alcoholic hangover, you're kind of experiencing just a typical life hangover. What was the motivation for, for putting this into print? Were you just wanting to finally get it out of your system, some ideas and thoughts that you thought might be of interest to the general public, or what was the motivation behind that? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of wrote it 
And then I just, I, I mean, I thought it was fairly decent. Uh, I had some friends read it, and it was just one of those. I figured I might as well give it a shot, see what happens. I think that if I would have never done it, you know, I, I didn't want to go and think oh, I, you know, kind of live with that burden of, man, I never took that next step, and I probably should have. Have you always desired to be a, a published author, or is this something new that's uh, come up come upon your uh, your to do list? Uh, it was just uh, kind of a new experience. I, it was never something I wanted, I aspired to, but uh, as older I've gotten, I've read a lot more. Um, you know, I've always been to myself. I've always been single, no kids. So, with that spare time, you know, I've done a lot of reading more, and I think in that. It made me more literal. Just, I, I think, just reading more kind of subconsciously put the book idea in my head. But no, I never, as a kid or anything, ever thought I'd ever write a book. And did you become more introspective as you've gotten older? This uh, first page starts uh, out talking about Ground Zero and Manhattan. How did that impact your life? Uh, yeah, I think the older you get, I mean, definitely reading and become maybe a little more emotional and things in depth and i mean it, it is just a very sobering experience uh you see all those images and things from afar but when you're actually i was lucky enough to have a hotel where i, I mean i could just look out my window and it was right down there and it was before the freedom tower even started being built and it was just you know it, it makes it closer to home that way i mean i'm from sure. kansas i'm nowhere near new york but once you're just standing over it you're just like you know, I, I don't know. It just gives you a feeling inside that it's a little different than just seeing it on TV. It's startling, and it also makes you think sobering thoughts, uh, if I may use that analogy, uh, since yeah. you've used flying kung over. You have, uh, as you begin to write this, how long did it take you, Brian, to, to put your thoughts into a print and a published uh, format? Uh, I'd say writing it was, I don't know, maybe a couple months. If that, I, I can't really remember. It's been a few years ago. Sure. But it, it, it started coming out. I mean, the hardest thing was to edit it uh, because I I write a lot like I speak. Well, this book is pretty much a stream of consciousness. Mm. But uh, the hardest thing when you write is when the writer can understand it. But, <laughs> sure. you know, it makes sense to the writer. And then, you know, might have some people read it. It's like, yeah, this, is, this doesn't make sense at all. That was kind of a process of editing it. And when you when you uh, finished this, uh, when I guess when you began, you must have had an idea that maybe contemporary aged group would uh, find this interesting, or did you think it would have a broader appeal than that? I, I think more of, yeah, younger demographic. Uh, some of the humor I don't think is, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's for everybody. Right. But, uh, um, yeah, I would say more... Because I'm 33, I would say, and I wrote it four years ago. I'd probably say, yeah, 25 to 40, maybe. But, uh, I mean, there's there are topics that I think deal with, you know, anybody. It's just some of the humor, yeah, you might not appreciate. And even people within that demographic might not appreciate it either. Which of the, the, the thoughts, the stories, the, the thoughts of streaming consciousness that you have uh, shared, do you think is uh, one in retrospect you wish you had expanded upon or you really think there's something there that people should get a hold of? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to choose. 
the thing that I think that'll be most misinterpreted is going to be the jokes. And uh-huh. I think that sometimes people see those and they just become naturally offended. And that's okay because there are some offensive things, but kind of where does that come from? How does that, some of those things come about, if that makes sense? Sure. Is there an like effect? How, I, mean, I mean, they are stereotypical jokes. Ah. And that can be offensive, but it's not. I think sometimes when you hear those things, it's like, oh, this guy's just a jerk. Well, maybe that's part of it. And I said that, but how did those jokes ever get to surface? Mm. Does that make sense? Sure. I, I was going to ask you to share an offensive joke, but I maybe shouldn't do that <laughs> since you're trying to sell the book. <laughs> Unless you've got one well, that's sort of on the edge and just a little edgy. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, I think the yeah, people read it, they'll just be natural. And I think that's what happens is people just get offended and then they just push away the context. Mm. If, you know, instead of maybe see... Okay, if he said this, and I don't like what he said, but why, you know, you can kind of look back and say, okay, that makes sense, or I don't know. Would you describe this as a, a it's not a fictional work as such, it's it's sort of nonfiction, but sort of streaming consciousness, as you've described it. Is it uh, one that has a, an ulterior motive, or are you just wanting to share your thoughts and uh, publish your ideas so that people will start thinking about subjects that you have addressed? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was, there wasn't much of an ulterior motive. It was just, it was just taking a chance. It was something I wrote, just trying to get it out there. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the biggest point of it is, like, I just bring up the point, you know, what happens if your plane crashes? Mm. And then I say, what happens if I, at the very least, I die? And I think that would be, that'd probably be the number one thought I'd want people to come away with. Because kind of is... And then I give my explanation. Your explanation. Kind of, kind of go through the Bible and kind of tell them that's what I think. That is the format that I would use. Sure. Even though I don't, I don't live out biblical teachings 100%, obviously. But you do have a desire to, I'm guessing, from, from what you've just mentioned. Would you, would you think this is a lighthearted read, or is this one that is uh, sort of on the serious side with some humorous overtones? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's pretty, I'd say it's just a, to me, it's just kind of like a, like, I mean, you, uh, in college, you know, you have your 101, your 401, and then like your 601 for graduate. I'd say it's just like an easy, like 101 read. It's a pretty simple read. Well, if you can handle the way I wrote it, but it's just a quick read and it brings up a lot of different topics. What's your thoughts, or sense. sure? What is your thought, or your your desire, your hope for this particular book that you've published, Flying Hungover? What is the uh, end end game for it? What do you think will happen, or how do you hope it will impact the reader? Um, I just hope that uh, I just hope they can look at some of the things. Uh, maybe there's a lot of things they don't want to hear that's being said in those, but sometimes things you don't want to hear or maybe the things you need to hear. Um, just maybe just hope to think about things a little more. You know, maybe topics you don't want to hear about, and maybe expand on them a little more. Sure. Brian, do you journal and keep track of uh, events that happen in your life on a, a regular basis, things that might be of interest to someone later on in life if you decide to do a follow-up book? Uh, 
Not so much. I mean, I have, I do write other stuff. I wouldn't say a journal. I have wrote, written other things. Um, I don't know. It just kind of depends what happens with this one. If I will, you know, this is kind of, I just threw it out there. If this one works, I might do some more. Or I might just, if nothing really comes out of this, I might just call it good. Well, Brian, thank you for sharing your insight and uh, sharing a little bit of the uh, stories behind writing Flying Hung Over. Uh, your journal, 49 pages in length, so not a deep, deep uh, read as far as time constraints, but it may be thought-provoking and cause people to delve deeper into their subconscious and uh, maybe make some decisions that they need to make. Brian, thank you for sharing that today. Where do my listeners get a copy of Flying Hung Over? Uh it's probably the easiest would be either Amazon or I believe Barnes and Noble, and you can get it on the all three formats: hardback, softback, or the Kindle or the Nook. Sure, and they can also do a search under your name, Brian B R I A N, last name O A R D, and uh, find the book "Flying Hung Over." And uh, any subsequent works that might come out, Brian. Thank you for sharing the details of this particular work, and uh, we hope that our listeners will find it an, an entertaining and thought-provoking read. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, Jay. Pleasure talking with you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Magic Stones by Grandma Noor. Our author, whose real name is Randy McKinnon, joins me from the Northwest in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the program. No. no. You're not in Portland. Eugene, Oregon. Eugene. <laughs> Eugene is close to Portland. Yeah. And everybody's neighbor is an Oregonian. I think that's how it's pronounced. All right. Great. Well, thank you for joining me today. You have uh, written this book, or your second book. Your first book, I didn't get the title of it. What was it called? It's called Katie and the Troll Queen. My assumption from that and what you've uh, described as a title indicates it may also be a children's book. Would that be correct? You are so correct. Wonderful. You have a very active life doing lots of fun stuff. Why did you decide that authoring children's books was something that uh, intrigued you? I've always 
when I've written letters and and uh, such to my family and friends, it always turns into a book edition. Uh-huh. So I thought, well, why not embellish on it? And and being I have a fertile mind uh, for children's books and writing and stuff, uh, why didn't I? Go and get my education as a writer, and I did. Wonderful, you have some college education, but in addition to that, you're you're a member of the Daughters of Norway International Women's Group. You're uh, you are a part of a Renaissance group. That's a very uh, fascinating mix of uh, entertainment and creativity. How long have you been involved in Renaissance fairs? I would say close to or about twenty years incredible. Well, it's a joy to talk with you. Your book, titled Magic Stones, the the story concept, is this something that you have uh, used or have told this basic story over the years to children, grandchildren, and, and anybody that would listen, or is this something that you created from scratch? I did not create it from scratch. That was my grandmother's mind that did that. She had story time for me. I was the only child so we would have story time every afternoon after school, and she would recall stories that had been told to her. Wonderful. And uh, tell them to me and embellish on them, of course. <laughs> oh, was, now, was she from Norway? Your, your, I will yes. say, your, your, your heritage is Norway or Norwegian. Quite right. And Quite were, right. were you personally born in Norway, or is, are you just uh, one of those lucky people that has some of that influence in their speech patterns? No, I was born there. I immigrated to the United States when I was 22. Wonderful. Well, you have a charming a charming delivery. I wanted to find out what the Magic Stones was all about. Now, your grandmother told you this story years and years. And, well, I won't say uh, add years and years. That makes me sound like I'm thinking you're old and you're not. Uh, however, uh, you do go by Grandma Nor just because you want to be engaging to children. How long did it take you to recollect this story and to get it into print? I would say about a year. And um, when I learned to write from the Children's Institute for Books, uh, I had to scratch my head what to write about. And I have a beautiful backyard, and I was sitting out in it and one day, and all of a sudden it came to me, my grandmother's stories. Mm. There we go, and I was off and running. The story talks about a magic stone. What is that? Ma- is that magic stone? Is that something you can share in our interview, yeah. or tell us a little of what it's about? It is about two children who uh, are going in search of a cave that their father had told them about many, many years ago, and on and on and on about the cave that they couldn't find it. So the children decided to go. And they did find it, and there was lots of surprises inside. The stones is two diamonds that Mm. was given to them. The uh, book is uh, relatively short, 36 pages. However, the writing in it, some children's books have a very large print. Yours is more of a standard-style print. So this would uh, be possible for maybe a first or second grader to read this. What age group did you think might enjoy this read on their own, and uh, did you also anticipate that this would be read by parents and grandparents? I did, sir. Uh, 
I have a uh, the age for the the reading of this book is between six and eleven, possibly mm-hmm. twelve years old, uh, when they can when they read on their own. But the story, I think that it if the ch- the family read it to their children, the children would gain a lot of understanding from is from this and it's not a scary book that like so many children's books are today this is more of an adventure for two young children it is your now your grandmother knew you better than we do uh, were you an active child and uh, was she trying to teach you something from the magic stones or just entertain you she uh, I was a very very active child but being I lived in a village that uh, there was only maybe two or three playmates, and we rarely saw each other except at school. Hmm. And so we had to make up our own games, and I was not one that was going to sit home. I would make up my own games. That's a good foundation for for being an an author or a writer if you have a creative mind and a creative outlook. Exactly. Have Have you taken notes, or do you keep notes of some of these stories your grandmother told you so that in the future you can share those also with the uh, the audience, the written word. Yes, yes, I have. I have taken lots of notes, and, and, and I lay them in places where I can find them, and then I can't find them. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone as busy as you are, not surprising. You could have it with your Renaissance costumes, or maybe with your Red Hats. I don't know. She's also You are also a member of the Red Hat Society, which is a, a fun group of ladies that get together, and I'm not sure what they do other than, than just charm people when they go to restaurants and uh, meet for meetings. What other activities do you involve yourself in that takes away from your writing? I exercise three times a week for four hours. That is one of the major things that I do, and, and by the time I'm done with that, most of the week is gone. My goodness. You, your main characters are Molly and Pete. And uh, yeah. what is the, the underlying message that your grandmother was trying to convey to you, or perhaps it just came out in your story, the story by Grandma Knorr, that, uh, that you want to pass along to children? The main four things, actually five, that I would that is woven into the fabric of the the words in the book, is honesty, respect, friendship, loyalty, and most of all, courage. Mm. Any advice about respecting older relatives and moms and dads I, in there? Yeah, I have. Uh, I think that the, the respect is is in the book. It's written in that you respect your elders above all. Definitely needed. I might just give my two or three uh, pennies on that topic. I think that's uh, certainly missing in the family structure. You have addressed a very important topic by doing so. What is your long-term hope for this? Are you wanting to be another Dr. Seuss, or what is your goal as an author? No. I do not, and I am not thinking of extra money or I would like to recover the expenses I have done by uh, publishing this, but that is not important to me. To me, it is that the children read. That Mm. is almost a forgotten art today. Very true. Pick up the book and read, yeah. 
non-electronics is something they're not familiar with. They like to just go off and zone in their own world that uh, has nothing to do with reality sometimes. And, of course, reading can be an escape from reality, but it does challenge them and, and uh, it cause them to grow intellectually and emotionally. So that's, uh, it's a good thing yeah. that you've done. Did you have any challenges in getting this completed and getting it published? Yes, I had a few challenges, but uh, it it is all a learning curve, and and um, I didn't expect to to put out as much dollars as I have. But looking back in retrospect, I would do it again and again, which I am gonna do. I have <laughs> two more books that's gonna go. <laughs> Are any of your books gonna deal with your time in the Merchant Marines? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. That uh, That is a story all of its own. <laughs> I, I was fascinated so. to find that out about, about your history. You uh, certainly have kept busy. Your book is uh, the second in, in your attempts at getting messages out to children. The third yes. book, is that on the way or under construction at the moment? Yeah, it's about to be finished. It's in the computer, and that is set in the Renaissance era. Ah, and I had to draw on everything I know, including speech, what they, how they spoke in those days, and how they acted, and all this. And that is a very, very interesting subject to me. Your author, Jan Michael Vincent Sai, did a fabulous job on illustrating this book, The Magic Stones, by Grandma Knorr. Is there a, a possibility you would engage them for the Renaissance, or do you have someone else in mind for that? I have another person in mind for that who is very well acquainted with Renaissance. Super. Yeah. So uh, she's going to take care of that. Wonderful. And how soon do you think that'll be out? Is that going to be this year as well? I, uh, I'm hoping it will if my finances holds up. Randy, uh, how did you come up with the name uh, or the, the title of Grandma Nor? I was trying to uh, infiltrate where I am from. And so I took half a Norway mm-hmm. and that Grandma Nor. We could have called it Grandma Eugene, maybe, but I guess Nor actually, <laughs> actually sounds better. Yeah, I think it's, it, it, it runs off the tongue a little easier. It does. We're going to make sure that people buy a copy of your book if we can. How do we get copies of The Magic Stones? The Magic Stones is at Barnes. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, yeah, it should be online at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com, Kindle, Kindle Books. Kindle can get it. Do you have a website uh, or a fan page set up yet? I have a blog and I'm on Facebook. Wonderful. If you could share that, that would be nice to maybe connect there. Yeah. Facebook is uh, uh, Randy McKinnon at Yahoo.com. All righty. And Randy is spelled with an I, R-A-N-D-I, and McKinnon is uh, M-C-K-I-N-N-O-N, zero N. Um, let, me, let me rephrase that. Last name M-C-K-I-N-N-O-N, uh, also known uh, under the nom de plume of Grandma Noor. Thank you for joining me today, Randy, enjoying, and, and sharing your, your personal history. I think it's fascinating what you have accomplished so far. And uh, best of luck with this book, The Magic Stones, by Grandma Noor. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk again, and you, you will become a household word, household name, and be, be able to produce lots and lots of stories. 
I hope so, indeed. Pleasure Thank visiting. Thank you for having me. Pleasure visiting with you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Parker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.